0: All right. Well, happy Father's Day to everybody. We're going to get into the message. You guys ready? Uh, Obviously, I'm I'm tailoring this a little to dads, but really this message is for everyone. So please know that if I say fathers, I'm meaning everyone today. Men that don't have children and women that are not fathers. All right. Um, This is an important message, I think, that, that God wants to teach us from lessons at Mount Moriah. So let's pray. Lord, we love you. We praise your mighty name that you are a great God that brings us to a place like Mount Moriah for us to be tested and to grow and to become all that you've called us to be so that we could see what's in our hearts and be able to give it over to you. We just give you this time. I ask God that you would open people's hearts. Would you open your hearts right now? Would you open your ears? Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Would you hear today what the Spirit of the Lord wants to share with you? Lord, we give that to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I take out my magic clicker. Where is it? There it is. All right, lessons at Mount Moriah. What is Mount Moriah? Mount Moriah is in the old city in Jerusalem. It's the site of many, many biblical events and religious events. It's one of the most valuable pieces of real estate in the world. You could not buy it with all the money in the world. You truly couldn't. It is also one of the highest contested pieces of real estate in the world with everybody wanting to claim ownership of Mount Moriah. It is profoundly sacred to Christians Jews, and Muslims. On top of Mount Moriah is the Temple Mount. It's 35 acres where the Jewish temple stood. It's also the place where currently the Dome of the Rock stands. And of course, it all started with the story that we're going to look at in just a few minutes. Let me show you some of these pictures of I got out my pictures again. Aren't you glad? (laughs) This is Mount Moriah. And what you can see is we're standing on uh, the Mount of Olives and we're looking at Mount Moriah. And you can see the Dome of the Rock, that that gold dome. And that's where the temple of the living God stood. And... uh, it all started because of the city of David, and this sign wasn't around then. There's just an informational sign. <laughs> but this, the city of David is, is a small little patch right in front of Mount Moriah that David bought from the Jebusites. And then Solomon built on this patch, he built the temple. And you can see the city of David is on the right side of this picture. That's the, that's the earliest parts of the city of David where he started building Jerusalem. Jerusalem, named after the Jebusites. And here you see the Temple Mount. This is the wall of the great temple. This is not a part of the temple, but the wall that surrounded it. And it goes about 30 feet deep below where people are standing right now. And it's uh, just an amazing place where you see obviously prayers happening. And then you can see in this picture... Uh, I'm happening. <laughs> this is me praying uh, in an amazing experience of just being where my Jewish roots and uh, my Christian faith collided in this amazing place of promise that God has set forth that we get to talk about today. And you'll see that crack with those papers. Those are prayers that people leave. That's their tradition. So it all started with this walk, this walk, of a father and a son. And we want to review this scripture today. And it's 18 verses. It's going to take me a while to read, and I encourage you to follow along with me. It says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance, three days out. You can imagine what was going on in Abraham's mind for three days. It's the things that we're going to be talking about in just a few minutes. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there and we will worship and then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. And the two of them went out on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here. Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Can you imagine Abraham's heart right at this very moment as he realizes that his son is supposed to be that lamb, according to his mind, and uh, Isaac is just starting to ask questions. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went out on together. And when they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there. And they arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. What an amazing moment that must have been. Seconds, seconds. Until that moment where the promise that God had given him would be over in his own mind. But Abraham, Abraham knew that God was faithful. And here he comes. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. You can imagine he was ready to say that, right? (laughs) He was really ready to say that. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its thorns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on that mountain, the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand of the seashore. Your descendants will be like take possession of the cities of their enemies, And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Lessons at Mount Moriah. The very beginning of this starts with, some time later, God tested Abraham. Some time later. Some time later, Abraham was born. The promise was there. Those of you that have children, it's wonderful to have children. Anticipation in waiting for children. We've had a few new children born in our church recently, and you know it just reminds you of what it's like to anticipate that child, that wonderful promise from God. Isn't that right? I remember Cynthia and I waiting for our firstborn to come out. It was a little frustrating. She was way too comfortable. And we would go for walks around the block, speed walking as fast as we could to try and get something to happen, but it wouldn't happen. So eventually we induced because we had lost patience. <laughs> <laughs> Sometime later, here is Isaac. And Abraham has had a chance over the years to be able to. Love him, cherish him, and recognize that God did something wonderful here. Sometime later, God tested. Tested. This is not a testing like he didn't know. God knew, didn't he? God knows all things. He knew what was in Abraham's heart. This was not a testing to say, to test you, to think, to see if you were saved to see if Abraham was saved, because it already said in the Scriptures that he was declared righteous by his faith, right? Is that right? He was declared righteous by his faith, and so it was not his salvation that was being tested here. This testing was something very profound that Abraham needed to know about himself about himself. God knows our hearts. Scripture says that. But we need to get a little more informed as to what's going on in here. Do you guys agree? Yeah. I don't know about you, but I am constantly thinking I've, I understand myself, and I go forward thinking how confident I am in what I'm doing, and I realize in a, some type of test That my heart is a little different than what I thought it was, and I just get a little disappointed. (laughs) But it's a good thing to be tested. It's a good thing to know what's going on inside of your heart. Don't you think that? Wouldn't you just hate to go through life just thinking, "Gee, golly whiz! I could just—I'm perfect. I'm doing so great." And 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 you realize after it's too late. Hmm. You know, after it's too late, that man, you kind of. Didn't have the right heart in this situation, and that situation. Not that you weren't saved, but God wants to grow us, right? He wants to heal us. And when our heart is tested, we get healed. And then you'll see in a little while, blessing flows because of it. Amen? And the last part is, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Ira, Ivan, Kurt, we are all going to be tested. I really thought this was possible that because things were going so well that maybe I wasn't going to be tested for a while. God surprised me. (laughs) And he tested me. He tested me with things in my family that really caused quite a bit of pain. I shared a few of those things, my dad being one of them. We're all going to be tested. Don't think you're going to get out of it. Don't think that because Jesus is, is in your life and you're a Christian that things are going to always go well for you because God loves you too much to let you think that. And he wants you to be tested because it is that in that point that God brings freedom, life, and blessing. Can you guys agree to that? Aren't you glad this is a Father's Day message? <laughs> All right, so you know, what is a test? Athletes' foot is not a test. Your kids are. Don't you agree? Raise your hands if you agree. Your kids are a test. A matter of fact, compared to kids, everything else is athlete's foot. Don't you agree? It's true. So we have to realize that we are going to have tests in our family. We're going to have tests in our relationships. And God uses testing in our family to heal us and bring us life. You know, parenting is an interesting thing because, you know, we could have been like fish and pop out a whole bunch of eggs and then they swim away, don't you think? I mean, God could have made us like that, right? It's true, but he didn't. He made us have 18 years to life. <laughs> right? I could tell there's a lot of parents out there. 18 years to life of us caring and being concerned and praying over and coaching eventually, mentoring our kids. Guess what? Parenting is really for the parent a lot, don't you think? I think it is. I think God uses parenting to change us, to make us self, more selfless, to make us more patient and kind and loving. So if we're going to have tests, there has to be some questions. So what I'd like to do is pose to you some questions that I believe God posed to Abraham while he was being tested. The first is, am I first in your life? Lordship, lordship. What does that really mean? That's kind of an old-fashioned word. And, you know, now, uh, in, unless we're in a church and use the word, and I don't think it really has the depth of meaning that, that we think it should, the, the only expression of that word really is lordy lord or something like that. You know, it's, it's kind of like a, a slang use of that word. But it's important. King of kings, Lord of lords. Am I first in your life? Don't you think that's a question that was posed to Abraham on that mountain walking for those three days? He is the highest authority. Think about the Supreme Court, which has some amazing things to be deciding right now. And we look at June as an important time in our country's uh, year because of these decisions that the Supreme Court brings down. Some very timely decisions right now. Why? Because they are the highest authority. The Supreme Court says something. That is the end of the argument. Right? It's over. There's no recourse after the Supreme Court says something unless they say you can have some more recourse. It's true, they can do that. But on the whole, they basically say, okay, the final decision, we are the highest authority, we are the court of courts, this is the decision. And the entire country has to fall in line behind that decision. It's a good thing to be praying about in this month, because there's a lot of important decisions. Isaiah 45 says, There is no other God besides our God. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Matthew 28, after Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he says, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. That means there is no authority on heaven and on earth. Do you know any, any other place? No, there isn't. All authority everywhere has been given to Jesus Christ. He is the Lord. He has all authority. And he asks that we make him Lord in our life, that we put him first in our life. Can you imagine poor Abraham here? Come on, God, you gave me this promise and I've watched him grow up and now you're saying this. It looks like it's over. I will do this, but this challenges me in my soul. It's pretty amazing. I can't imagine doing that. Is Jesus important to you? So many, including myself, at times have Jesus as important in our lives. And I kind of tricked you if you said yes to that because important is not Lord. Important is one of many important things. Is Jesus important to you or is he your Lord? Dads, moms, Anyone in this room, anyone breathing, we need to get this. Jesus Christ is Lord, and he needs to be our Lord. He cannot be important. He cannot be one of many things that are important in our lives. He must be Lord of Lords, Lord of Ira, King of Ira. He needs to be that for each one of us. We don't get this concept in a democratic world because all we have to do is vote somebody out if we don't like them, right? But there is no voting out with the king of kings and lord of lords. He is the creator of everything. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. There is no vote. He is the lord. But we don't get it a lot of times in America because we think, well... This is kind of an unpopular thing that Jesus is saying in the Bible. And so I think I'm just going to vote that out. I'm going to vote, vote out that I, that I put him first in my life. I'm going to vote out that he asked me to have a pure mind and a pure heart. Because I have too many other things that are also important. And I need to balance and, and kind of work through these important things to to make them work well, to have some kind of importance, equilibrium. That is not what Jesus Christ is asking for. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, and everything has been given to him, all authority in heaven and on earth. Can you guys agree? And as parents, this is so essential that we get this. Our kids need to see, those around us need to see, if you don't have children, that we are putting Christ first in our life. Not he's important. Not depending on what's happening on Sunday, I'm going to do this. Or depending on what happens on Monday, I'm going to believe this. Not that. But that he is Lord of lords in your life. Do you think our kids don't get it? Do you think our kids are not astute enough to understand when we've decided to put other things as more important in our lives, like money or work or or fun activities or, or personal interests, or even them? Even them. We must put Jesus first. And when that is the case, blessing will come in our kids' lives because of it. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. What's the picture here? The picture is is that people were saying, Lord, Lord, but really what they should have been saying, important, important that it wasn't a heartfelt faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. And so they would do religious acts, but God is not looking for religious acts. God is looking for our heart, that we have set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts, and everything flows from there. In Romans, it talks about an obedience that comes from faith, it is not an obedience that proves faith; it is a fruit of faith, and so our life is lived out because we believe who Jesus Christ is. It is by grace through faith and you know the there were people on the street and they asked Jesus, you know how do we do the how do we do the works that you've asked us to do and what must, what must be do to do the works God requires, they asked. And he said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent, that he is Lord. That is it. That is simply it. Everything else flows from that, but that is it. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord in your life? Or is he important? He's asking you, to make him Lord today. Next question. How can you trust me? Can you trust me when circumstances are dire? You know, there's, as a pastor, I get to, I guess that's not a, an appropriate way to say this. I, 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 it's not a happy thing, but it's a sad thing, but experience very difficult situations with families. And one of our, one of our congregation's families, the String Fellows, you know, not too long ago, you know, they had this beautiful son. I forgot how old he was. He was very young, maybe just after he was walking a little. And he he drank acid. And it was a horrific thing. I remember hearing about it. And then I remember rushing to the to the hospital and, and seeing him life-flighted to, to children's primary and what a, what a terrible, dire circumstance this is. To, to even wonder, to even wonder, will this little boy that the promise has been given to this family, will he live? Will he live? It was great to see that through the trial, this family stood firm in believing and trusting God even when circumstances are dire. And you might be walking in circumstances that are dire today. Abe's circumstances were, were pretty poor, don't you think? Here he was, and here was this hope, walking around. You know, some, some people say that kids are like our heart, walking around outside of our body. Have you ever heard that quote? And, and he, here's Abraham's heart walking outside of his body. But what a dire circumstance, because he knew that should God not do anything else, this was going to be the outcome. But he trusted God. He trusted God when circumstances were dire. This is what it says in Hebrews 6. And so after waiting patiently, God rece- uh, Abraham received what was promised. So he already had the promise, and men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to an argument, an end to an argument. There is no argument. Is God good? Is God good? Is God good? Always. There is no argument. No matter how dire your circumstance is, there is no argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear. How clear? Very clear to the errors of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, which is impossible for God to lie, he who has, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor to the soul. Do you have this hope of God as an anchor in your soul when your circumstances are dire? Whether it's your kids, whether it's your finances, whether it's relationships, do you have Jesus Christ as an anchor in your soul? We're too good at trusting God when things go well, don't you think? I always get a little worried when things are going too well. <laughs> you know, the Bible says when you are persecuted. When trials come. It doesn't say if. It says when. So we have to expect them. We don't have to live in dread. We just have to know testing will happen. And it is for our good. Will you obey me even when it's hard? Can you imagine Abraham in this situation? Struggling to figure out what is going on here. I must obey God. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And even to the very millisecond, with that knife in his hand, he was obeying God. Not knowing that what would happen next is a divine intervention of God's miraculous grace. Look at Noah. I love that in in Evan Almighty, just how rough his experience was, don't you? I just laugh when I think about how he wasn't listened to, how he wasn't believed. I mean, it was hard for him to obey. There was never any rain until, until this happened. I mean, think about it. Everybody thought he was nuts. But he obeyed. His whole family thought it was nuts. They all tried to leave him. It's a terrible, terrible situation for him. Look at Moses. Oh, vey. Nine plagues. It's like, oh my goodness. Do I have to do another one? Think about how hard it was for him. The entire country and weight and authority of the greatest nation in the world at that time against this one Jewish guy with a beard who heard from God right? Do you ever feel like that? I don't have a beard, but I feel like that. <laughs> this is what it says. I love this scripture in, in Hebrews. It says, you need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive all that he has promised. Can you obey me even when it's hard? Nelson Mandela said it like this. It always seems impossible until it's done. I like that, don't you? Winston Churchill said this. When you are going through hell, keep going. (laughs) Jesus Christ said it the best. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Will you obey me even when it's hard? What things are you going through right now that are so difficult and so hard and God is asking you to obey me in them? Obey him in them. Is your hope in the promise or the promiser? Isaac was the promise. Our kids are part of the promise God has given us. In Hebrews 11 it says this, by faith Abraham when God tested him offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son even though even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Here was the promise. Was Abraham going to hold on to the promise? Or is he going to hold on to the Promiser? We, as our parents, cannot put our hope in our kids or anything else, people. We cannot put our hope in anything else but Jesus Christ and him alone. Amen? You know, I just love this story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm not going to read it. But I'm going to leave it up there if you want to read it. Here they are. They're going to get thrown into this fiery oven. And and they tell the king, Our God is able to save us. But if he doesn't, we will still obey him. Because they have their faith in the promiser and not the promise. All too often, It's so easy for us to start looking at the things that we have in life and put our hope in those things. Put our hope in our health. Guess what? Your health is not going to last. I guarantee it. Right? Is it true? Accept it now, and it'll be a lot better off. But you can stay as healthy as you can for a while. But your health will go down. Don't put your hope in anything. Put your hope in the promiser, not the promise, not the promise. Hebrews 11 says this, Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He exists. He is all-powerful. He rewards. He is all-loving. No matter what the circumstance, we could put our hope in him and him alone. And that is what faith in the Lordship of Christ is all about. Put your hope in the promiser, as Abraham did as well. Two more quick points, and then we're going to stop. Even when circumstances don't make sense, do I make sense? Do you have circumstances in your life that you just can't figure out? I do. How how many of you have circumstances in your life right now you just can't figure it out? Yeah. Nothing made sense for Abraham except God. God made sense to Abraham. Is that enough? Is that enough? I say yes. Do you? I want to encourage you to know that God making sense in your life is more than enough for you to be able to trust him with whatever circumstance is confusing to you, whatever dark night of the soul that you're going through right now. God making sense is more than enough. Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher from the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. How much higher is that? It's high. So we can trust God because his ways have much more perspective and clarity than our thoughts and our ideas, which are down here. Here we are. We see things like little little people on the ground. We see these big trees and everything. God is as high as the expanse of, of everything that's created and beyond. He can see everything all at once. Today, yesterday, and tomorrow. It makes sense. I walk through many trials myself and, and with others that just don't make sense. But God makes sense. God makes sense. This is the last point. Can you worship me in all situations? Can you see how this is important, Dads? I'm going to relate it back to Dads for just a second. That we live our lives as worshipers to Christ so essential that our children see that, that people around us see it, that people at work see that, that our neighbors see it, that we are worshipers of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Abraham was ready to worship. That's what he was doing. Here he was three days walking, three days walking. And at the very end, he knew that what was coming No matter how horrible, no matter how unbelievable in his own mind, he knew God was faithful. He knew it didn't make sense, but God made sense to him. He knew that he needed to do what God said because he was Lord. And he walked up to the top of the mountain, and he knew the final thing that he would do would be worship the living God. Can you worship me in all circumstances? In Psalms 71, it says this. Is that the right scripture? Yeah. But as for me, I shall always have hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteousness, of your salvation all day long, though I know not its measure. This was the heart of David who constantly went through trials and was in the middle of a trial here. He was able to worship. He was able to worship. Job said this in Job 42.5, I heard rumors about you, but now my eyes have seen you. He knew about the goodness of God. But in the midst of his testing, he was able to see that God was good. Are you able to do that? We're going to have a special song right now. And while we do this, I just want to encourage you to let the Lord speak to you. Is he leading you through a test right now? It is for your blessing.